to the early churches in Galatia, which is kind of Turkey, central Turkey. And starting in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. Dear Lord Jesus, we hear in these words the teaching that Paul was giving, speaking, encouraging uh, those early believers in Galatia. And we have them, Lord, now. And I pray that this evening, what was true and what was helpful and what was insightful and, and the gospel through Paul's ministry, you would uh, enable us to hear and understand not just the then, but the now. Not just them, but us. And the courage to put into effect what we learn. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know what for you, uh, you kind of picked up as I read through those passages. Does anyone want to, um, it's just a bit of a risk because, you know, sometimes when people read scriptures, everyone turns off and kind of like just washes over. Uh, that may not be true. That may be just me. Uh, I what kind of did you hear, or what was the kind of, what maybe something of the tone that Paul was expressing in, in that letter, in those passages? Claire? He's still worried about them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Anything, anything else? He was disappointed, yeah, he was disappointed. Any? Frustrated, yeah. Absolutely, there's a, there's, a, there's a quizzicalness 
in what he said. In other words, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in this, in this particular part, and indeed the whole of Galatians, that actually is really heartfelt. This isn't just sort of writing a dry and dusty letter. It's, it's actually from Paul. He's their friend. He's been their spiritual uh, kind of uh, father, spiritual director. He's the one who came and preached the gospel, and they welcomed him, and uh, they embraced Jesus, and they started the running the race so faithfully and fervently and passionately. And there, there's a sense of, of it was all going so well. And, and Paul had to move on and had to, because uh, he was compelled by the love of God to, to bring the gospel to, to as many places as he could in the world. And we see again and again in the story of Acts how often when he had to move on, there was a deep grief in the people. They were like, don't go, Paul, don't leave us. You know, and he said, um, yeah, I've got to move on because there's others who haven't yet heard. And he does go back to places. If you read through the book of Acts, you get these missionary journeys, they're called, the first, second, and third. But throughout the story of Acts, you get this sense that sometimes this is the last time you will see me. But he's also a prolific writer. I wonder what he'd have been like on Twitter. Who knows? But uh, he, he was good at keeping in touch. He was really good at, at, at uh, hearing because people would move about. They would move from city to city, place to place. They would be, there would be some flow of, uh, of believers. And he would hear news from time to time of places. And he started to hear news about Galatia, about the churches that he loved so much that, that perhaps are, were flourishing. But other people had come in and started to twist and distort the good news, the gospel. We've been... Uh, exploring that over the weeks gone by, and we'll come back to it. But it's out of that, out of that relationship, that you get this profound kind of emotion coming out. For Paul, this isn't clinical. For Paul, he's not just a professional here. You know, he's not sort of um, got just a good bedside manner and they're there and you know, kind of, uh, you know, if you see somebody professional, actually, he's he's invested in them. And he really deeply cares about them. So anxiety, worry, pleads with them. Those kinds of words are all to the fore. He's anxious for them. And even goes, as, you know, uses language of family, brother, sister. And even at the end, I don't know if you captured it, uh, it's, uh, he uses the friend, he says, My dear children of whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth. I don't know anything about childbirth. Well, I do. I was there once, but uh, I don't remember it. <laughs> Thankfully. Uh, but many of you do. It is, so I'm told, something that is most precious and profound, painful, and full of emotion for life is coming to pass. And Paul draws on that image. They matter. It's interesting how he, he got there. He, it, it seems he wasn't intending to visit Galatia. He had to stop because we're told that he'd got an eye problem. Uh, we, we don't really know what that was, but there was clearly an eye issue. Uh, he mentions it um, a couple of times in these passages. Um, I kind of have begun to, I've, I've begun to become middle-aged. I know that's a shock and a revelation to me, uh, not to you. I went to the opticians recently, and I've got glasses now. I know, reading glasses. Everyone's going, aha, you've joined our club. 
I've got reading glasses and they stay most of the time in my study, but I have found myself doing all this business and suddenly kind of appreciating my eyes much more than I had realized. But there seemed to be a problem. He mentions it, verse 13. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. Uh, there's, this, this, there's not a clarity in, in those who study this a lot, but it's probable that he'd got an eye problem, an eye illness. Why do I say that? Well, you may have picked it up. He, he kind of has this little strange pro, uh, um, uh, sentence just, just a little bit after talking about his sickness. He says, um, I can testify that if you would have done so, you'd have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Did you hear that? They were so kind of passionate for Paul and behind him, they were like, if we could have given you our eyes, we would have done. In chapter 6, verse 11, uh, of the same letter, it talks. He says he writes to at the end. Uh, uh, Paul often would have what's called a, a scribe, an amanuensis, that he would have someone who would, he would dictate to. It was a very common way of um, of writing things. But but at the end of chapter six, he was wanting to sign it in his own hand, and he says, "See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand." I don't think it's because the Galatians were simple, like oh, big writing. <laughs> I think it's actually that Paul is writing in big letters because of his eyesight. There's a little interesting passage uh, in, uh, in Acts. Uh, you, know, you may think I'm making a bit much of this, perhaps. But there's an interesting passage in Acts 23, just in passing. Paul is, has been, is on trial. He's uh, before the high priest. And um, they're, you know, they're, they're asking what he's been doing. Then Paul said to the him, the high priest, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding what I've, that I be struck. Those who were standing there, Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, brothers, I didn't realize that he was the high priest, for it's written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. It's just possible that he may not have comprehended, he may not have seen, that he was aware that there was a leader of, of the Jewish nation there, he may not have been able to see that clearly. So, so he's kind of like, I'm sorry, I didn't realize, didn't see. Why is that kind of important? Well, it, it speaks of, I think it speaks of, of something about the humanity and the tenacity of Paul. That he doesn't stop even when it was tough. And it speaks something about a, a reminder sometimes that we just have to push on through struggles and trials. What do I mean? Well, it, it seems that he, he ended up in the churches in Galatia, in these cities and towns. Initially, he wasn't intending to be there. Maybe it was just a journey through and he became sick. And he didn't just shut himself up and away and count the days till he was better. In the midst of whatever eye problems he was experiencing and the associated disability that that brought, not being able to see, I mean, he was a tent maker, he you know, didn't know the place. I mean, if you ever go to a new place, it's, it's you know, you kind of look around and uh, it's, it's kind of, you've got, it's hard to find your way. Imagine if your eyesight has gone too. And they, you know, the days before they had nicely uh, cambered pavements, <laughs> these are difficult roads and streets. 
But he didn't hide away and wait or become frustrated. He still carried on. He still wanted to make Jesus known. It's a, it's a lesson that no matter what stage, what circumstance, where we are, the gospel matters. Jesus matters. A few years ago, I took a youth team, 2012, to, uh, to India, and uh, we, there were uh, about nine, ten teenagers and a couple of us leaders, and uh, we were all really excited and up for it, and, and there was a kind of buzz about being in, in India and what we were going to do. And there was a little problem along the way in that half the team got diarrhea and vomiting, not all at once, that would have been even worse, but kind of sequentially, two or three at the same time. And we were traveling to a rural place and uh, in, on the coast of, of, of the state we were in. And we had to get up one when we got there, and it was all a bit of a trauma. I'll spare you the unpleasant details on that one. Um, and there was this one day we were doing this event, this uh, preaching, and uh, we, there were Karis, Philip's daughter, and uh, a wonderful a young woman called Emily M. And uh, half the team were like, oh, we can't do this, we just feel poorly, and, and there's no toilets, basically. And it's like, they're just horrible for them. And M was just like, she'd got a headache, and her stomach hurt, and she was feeling rubbish, and, and she was like, I just don't want to go out today. I don't want to go into this village. I don't want to go and be chased by the children and have to pray for people and you know, eat some curry. I don't want to do that but we couldn't leave her behind, so she came. And um, I was preaching and under the tree and was leading the service, and I just sensed God say, we just Em needs to share her story, her testimony. And if anyone's ever done any work with me before like this, this they know that I do, sometimes don't give much notice that I'm about to do this. So I was like, Em's going to... And Em, like, she's in the stew of, like, I'm poorly, I'm poorly. And she's like, looks at me with daggers in her eyes, like, how dare you? I'm in my pit of despair. <laughs> Go away. But because I'd done it in front of this whole congregation of people gathered who'd come and walked a long way, she was like, okay. So she got up. And um, anyway, she, she later on recounted, she was like, I can't believe he's making me do this. But as she sort of thought, I better get up, she thought, well, I'm here to serve, but Jesus, I need your help to do this because I feel so rough. And she said she stood up and she suddenly felt I can do this. And she, she did a brilliant job. And uh, what she shared really spoke to, to those who'd gathered. It was great. And then she sat down again. And she ref one of, that was one of the most powerful things that she, she experienced of actually understanding that even when she's weak, even when she's vulnerable, even when it's tough, it doesn't mean she's sidelined. She can ask Jesus to say, still, May you be strong in me. And he was. And she learned something very, very profound. There's a, there's a, uh, there's a label for the millennials. Zach and Harriet, you're millennials. Did you know that? You may have heard it in, none of the rest of us are. We're all uh, X's and boomers and all that. But... Um, There's a label about millennials that says, calls them snowflakes. Did you know that? Do you know what snowflakes means? They kind of like, like, like to look pretty, but when it gets a bit tough, they melt away. <laughs> it's a bit harsh, actually. No, they don't stick around. 
Even us know it doesn't stick around much. But I think there is, there is something for us as a culture that, that likes to have everything just so, that, that means that it, when it's tough, we kind of say, oh, that's it, I'm out. Particularly around the gospel. Particularly when, if in church life or family life or whatever circumstance we're in, it becomes tough. We think, I haven't got time for this Jesus thing now. I've got to sort myself out. Or we kind of think uh, it's someone else's issue. Or we think God's not sorted it out. Therefore, I'm just going to stand back till he does. Have you, have you ever thought like that? For, for Paul, he could, have, he could have said, you know, I, I need my eyes. I need to be able to read the, the, the scrolls. I need to be able to see, uh, eyeball those people who are debating with me in the, in the marketplaces and in, the, in the, the, the meeting places. And I want to see uh, the faces of, of people who are baptized and born again and, and coming to life again in Jesus. I want to be able to see where I can go. I want to be able to see the glory of God at work. And he seems to have that removed it. Maybe that's what he refers to about thorn in the flesh. But even when it's tough, he doesn't stop. He contends and he prevails. And we see in Galatians a huge fruitfulness. It's just a reminder as well that, that in our theology, and we do believe God heals, and we've seen God heal, and we're praying often for healing. But in Galatians, there's just this glimmer reminder that sometimes as we pray, there isn't the healing that we desire and we look for. But again, that doesn't mean we stop. It doesn't mean God's lost favor or isn't good or has lost his seat on the throne. It just means that he will provide grace and his grace will be sufficient. Even in the difficult place, through the difficult times. It's not to say we don't continue to pray. Of course we do. But there isn't a theology that we have that says, well, if you just believe enough and have enough faith, then of course you will be healed. It's just that you haven't got enough faith. Not at all. And that's a spiritual abuse. It's a manipulation. Sometimes we journey through sickness and the Lord is the Lord and good. So Paul, Paul speaks with, with great compassion and great love for his people. And he's, he's deeply upset with what is happening because he says the gospel is, is at stake. He's, he's kind of reminding them to say that, that when Jesus came into their life, everything changed for them. For the better, for the good. And they were embraced as God embraced them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they, the Spirit came and filled them, that they were redeemed and moved from uh, following and being trapped by these, uh, these things that were just uh, uh, not God's. He says, uh, that you, you, why are you turning back to these weak and miserable forces? Uh, it's kind of like a real put down, for, but, a, but a real affirmation about the wonder of God. Why would you turn to weak and miserable stuff when you've experienced the wonder and life of Jesus? Why would you want to turn back to this stuff that binds and enslaves and holds 
and robs when you've been freed by the Lord of life himself? How, why would you want to become slaves when you've been made children, sons of God? Why would you want uh, to, to sort of step back from that lovely place of being able to call um, God Abba, Father? Abba, Father, it's a, an Aramaic word just means daddy, really. We, get, we still get a little bit squeamish about being really familiar with God, and I understand why. But one of the things I, I continually check in my own prayer life is how am I referencing God? How do I speak about God when I'm talking to other people? Do I use the G word, the God word? And, and that's an appropriate word, but it's really, really very vague, very nondescript. Truthful, but you know, whatever God you happen to believe in, they'd still use the word God. But the wonder of the gospel draws us uh, uh, from not just knowing about or thinking there's some force or, or maybe, yeah, there is a God, but who is this God? And through Jesus, we were able to say, Father, Father, Abba, Daddy, Papa, if you've ever seen the film The Shack, this wonderful, familiar term. How do we reference God in our own prayer life? How do we... Uh, speak of him to him, and how do we speak of him to others? I mean, Lord is great, but it's still fairly formal. Jesus, I was talking to someone really recently, and, and, and I was talking about being a friend of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, and they said, you talk about Jesus a lot, don't you? And I was going, yeah, I do. And that's partly consciously, because I could talk about the Lord, or I could talk about Christ, but, but I want to talk about Jesus, and I want to talk about the Holy Spirit, and I want to talk about Father, our Father, the one who knows me and I'm known by, the one who's called me and I'm, I'm in that place as being adopted as a son, as a child of God, that that's my inheritance now, that that's my privilege to be part of, not because I've earned it or because I've deserved it, not in any way, but because God has given it as we turn to Jesus. And so I, I check how I speak of God, not to catch myself and beat myself up, but say, how do I know him at the moment? You've, uh, you know that little story, don't you, of how the only people that ever addressed you by your full name are your parents when you're in trouble. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Or your children when they're in trouble. So often it's, it's much more with the familiar and the friendly and the good relating names. Abba, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Why would... Why would you give up on that, Paul writes, pleads with them, urges with them. He's just perplexed. Why would you give up on that when Jesus has changed everything? That your whole life is different. You're no longer under the sway and thrall of weak and miserable forces. That Jesus truly is great. No longer return and go back. And don't think that you have to just take the form of religion. He says, you know, you've started to celebrate months and festivals and feasts and certain years. He says, you don't need to do that now to prove or to show or to demonstrate trust in Jesus. The old law 
the Old Testament has been superseded. It was just a shadow of the things to come. Finally, in, in closing, as, as, as I close, that, that reminder that for Paul, as he, he went with them, that, uh, that missional sense of even in the tough times, he's going to do this. That he was culturally flexible. What does that mean? Verse 12, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. This reminder that the gospel is always the gospel. We don't take away or add to it or subtract from it. It's truth for all people in all times, in all places. Jesus is Lord and Savior. But the manner and the way in which we do that does change. We don't have to learn Greek. Some of us do because we go to college to do it. But we don't, have to, we don't have to, like some other places, have to learn a particular language. And that's the only language that you can understand God in. No. We have the brilliance and the wonder of, of translated scriptures that aren't in the original. We'd have to learn Hebrew as well, and ancient Hebrew at that, as well as, as New Testament Greek. We, we have translations, and God speaks through it. And you can have a Spanish one and a, a, a Mandarin one, and you can have in every tribe and tongue and language can have their own version because God comes and meets the scriptures' leaders to Jesus. If you go to some places in the world and you see how Christianity is, is lived out, there's a kind of form of faith that's been imported from elsewhere in the middle of an African kind of beautiful red landscape with all sorts of wildlife wandering around. You get these brick churches with pews in it and people arrive not in what they'd normally wear, but in Sunday best with hats. And you kind of think, it's quaint, but a bit weird. Dear Dennis is a, a church warden, aren't you, at St. James? and Not a church warden, a, um, a guide. Not a guide, I mean, a guide. You do that guide, don't you? And people come in and go, oh, look at the pews. And the pews weren't there when the church was built a thousand years ago. They probably didn't have chairs. And they certainly didn't have an organ but heaven forbid if you said, let's now get rid of the organ or the pews. I'm not suggesting that he did that. I mean, Phil did in here. He whipped them out before they ever realized. But he knew that it was for a time and a season, but it was not the heart of what it was about. Paul goes to the Galatians and he says, I became like you. He's a cross-cultural missionary in order to draw alongside, in order to enter into their culture, in order to lead them to Jesus. The challenge is that's really hard because it puts me and you out of our comfort zone to step beyond what we know. But we have to do it. To the neighbor, my friends live in central Birmingham and they've got many, many neighbors of different faiths and different ethnicities and nationalities. And they could just say, well, we'll just be a Christian presence in this neighborhood and do white, middle-class things. And I'm sure, and they are, and they would shine for Jesus in that, but they've also said, in order to reach our neighbors, we need to open up hosp hospitality. So, it means that the wife will often meet with the women and the husband won't. And that's awkward and weird because it's not 
generally how we would do hospitality, but to build relationships, to build opportunity, to be flexible in the things of culture, holding on to the truth of the gospel. And finally, in this, in this message of being transparent, verse 12, he, he says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. In other words, he reached out to them and, and lived with them and showed them and walked and played and talked and ate with them and lived with them and, and understood their ways without condemning them or judging them. But also says, you know me, you saw my integrity, you saw my heart. And from that, he pleads with them and says, now, become like me, imitate me. They've seen him in his weak place where he was ill and vulnerable and perhaps anxious. They've seen his heart and his motives. And he calls to them to imitate him. Not because he's forming a little Paul army, but he's saying, you've seen in me what the gospel looks like. You've seen how it's taken me from a man with a vendetta into a man on a mission. They've understood who he is and he calls them back. Don't abandon. You see, at the heart of faith is our relationship with God and a relationship with one another. It's not about imposing rules and regulations. It's about living in unity and fellowship and encouraging and inspiring one another to become like Jesus. And that's really awkward. Phil referenced it briefly this morning. It's, it's often where churches fall apart is when we start to bump together and we start to find that we, we're prickly and we've got odd angles that hurt each other. And, and it's easier to step back and say, ah, oh, no, 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 thanks. And Paul isn't saying that. He's not saying, well, you've upset me, now I'll find someone else to go and lead pleads with them and says of utmost importance that we work through this and it's painful and I long to come back and I, I don't want to have a harsh tone. I'm perplexed about you. I wish that I could come. I mean, he's, he's even talking about this imagery of childbirth. I mean, childbirth, as again, as I understand it, is about, it's, it's not that the, the mother wants the baby to stay inside. I mean, heaven forbid what that would be like when there's a, a teenager stuck in there somewhere. I mean, it would be really unpleasant. That there's something about, about the giving birth that is, that is, is from having nurtured and, and gestated and, had, and giving life to actually saying that this, this, this new precious life has to transition to become uh, not independent, but to grow in its own right. Not divorced from, not separate, not cast out, not with no reference to the mother or the father anymore. But it would be wrong for it to be so encased still. Paul is saying, my feelings for you are such that it feels like I'm giving birth to you again. He's so passionate about these dear uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, it's like I've got these pains of childbirth again for you. I wish that I could be with you now and, and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. He's, he's saying, sisters and brothers, I want to come to you because you're straying off. And it matters massively that you're abandoning Jesus. 
and the way that you've been caught up with these people who've come in and, and sort of given you a form of religion and it seems on superficial level to kind of be like, oh, then we know how to do it because we've got X, Y, and Z and this to do and that to do and this not to do and it's a, a do this, don't do that and then you'll be okay type thing. Paul says, no, that's not what faith is. It's about dwelling and knowing Jesus and abiding with one another. And that's where it's tough. And that's where we hear the heartbeat of Paul because he loves his people. And they loved him. And on the basis of that relationship, being called together, he's just uh, spoken of in chapter 3 that, that in Christ we're all children of God through faith for we were all baptized into Christ and you've clothed yourself with Christ and there's neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, neither male or female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Don't you know that? Let's remember, as we meet together this evening as friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord, to be inspired about contending for the truth, of bearing with one another, even in the tough times. Even when it's tough to, to not retract or withdraw or say, I'm just in a weak place at the moment. Uh, count me out, I need to sit out. But rather, taking that faithful step of, of continuing to make Jesus known, even being vulnerable in weakness and yet still holding fast to Jesus. It's a powerful, powerful witness. For Jesus is worth it. He is amazing. Let's pray together.